this is Gerard Fox, and the verdict is in. I have another astonishing guest for you to listen to. And remember, we're going to be having guests, not just lawyers who you should call up who are giving you free advice and whose counsel you should seek as a general counsel, CEO of a small business, or an individual, or a, a talent manager, or somebody who's looking for a lawyer. We're turning you on to them, or even law students who listen to this podcast. But we're going to have individuals who talk about human trafficking and many other important issues in society. Uh, we're becoming a hit podcast, so just keep listening. Today, I am absolutely thrilled and I'm honored to have David Stern as a guest. David received his BA from Vassar College in 2002 before attending New York Law School, graduating with a JD in 2007. David began his legal career working in. Uh, operational real estate at Forest City Ratner Companies. And that's one set of significant experience where he focused on lease analysis and insurance claims. And boy, those are central in today's world now. David then helped Bloomberg's legal search platform, Bloomberg Law, focusing on case law research and analysis. And of course, you know, everything that touches Bloomberg is, you know, a big deal. When the Great Recession hit, David pivoted to financial advising, spending time between First Investors Corporation and strategies for wealth. So he was dealing with helping people invest their money, helping clients on personal planning. At the same time, observing an absence of estate planning in his clients' lives. And estate planning, is, as David will tell you, is very important. You don't want to just invest and make profit. You want to set up trusts and understand how those trusts work. He uh, began his legal practice to help fill the, that gap, creating wills and trusts. Many, many people live without a will or a trust, and that's important. So we need to make sure that you circle that in terms of his expertise. Ultimately, his love for the law went out, and David left Strategies for Wealth in 2015 to focus his solo practice on real estate and estate planning law. Then in 2019, David formed a partnership with Sean Mathay, an accomplished business attorney with his own practice. Mathay and Stern Attorneys at Law was born. Mathay and Stern serves a wide range of clients, serving as general counsel to families and business owners. With their combination of skills, David and Sean serve as the first point of contact for their clients, proudly and passionately furthering their goals. Now, for people listening to this podcast, and we have now hundreds leading up to thousands now. It's important to note that this is a multi-talented individual. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about your practice as you um, have it today. What services do you provide? So what we aim to do as a practice is to sort of sit as the first point of contact for our clients. Our clients, for the most part, being couples who are upper middle class to upper class. They often have their own businesses or are C-level executives. But I think first and foremost, they care about their families and they want to make sure that everything for their family, as well as their business, is taken care of professionally. And so we're able to sit there and work on a variety of different things. So my expertise, as you mentioned, is initially in real estate. So I have expertise in landlord-tenant issues, my partner actually more in transactional real estate. I then developed an expertise in 
trust and estates work, which involves estate planning as well as probate and estate administration. And my partner specializes in business law. So really everything from entity formation and advising around those decisions, uh, helping fund a company, contracts, employment agreements, basically sitting as a de facto general counsel to our clients in their businesses. And for those who are listening, they are very familiar with the concept of a family office. It's a little bit like running a little bit of a family office for um, a family. Let me give you an example. I know lots of clients who they have made money. They own their house outright, which is worth a lot of value. And then they buy buildings and lease them out, either low-income housing, which has its own set of rules, or they lease out um, traditional housing. And then they may have a company that they're running and they have kids and they're getting older and they want to set up trusts. I take it that those are things that you can handle across the board. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, every family is different. So the solutions are specifically tailored to each person's problems, but the kind of scenario you described is very common. It's a really efficient and effective way of transferring, transferring wealth, uh, a lot of wealth between generations as tax efficiently as possible. Now, this is very important because a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have family wealth. And, you know, mom or dad were successful. I had a trust and estates case where the dad bought a series of properties uh, in Palm Springs, in Los Angeles, uh, in New York. He just bought them. He owned them outright. Uh, eventually, um, it was understood that these had to go into trusts, and there were many kids, and the trusts were complicated. And the kids never really understood what their rights as beneficiaries were. So when you when you walk in as the beneficiary or as the settler of the trust, the, the mom or dad who made the money, you know these are the guys, David and his partner, who can help you out, can help you straighten things out, fix things if they're a mess. Correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot of problems that stem from exactly the kind of issue you're describing, which is children not understanding their parents' estate plan. In fact, personally, I just finished litigation against the trustee of my grandfather's trust for breach of fiduciary duty. Essentially, I think the problem boils down, frankly, to people having a discomfort talking around death. It's very common, it's perfectly natural, but it really sits as a huge obstacle to effective planning because you wanna have the conversations with your kids so that they know what they're getting into. It serves as a good check on any professionals, whoever the person serving as trustee is, make sure that there's not jealousy and make sure that, again, things after death happen as efficiently and effectively as possible. So that's that's really important to us as a firm. Yeah, that's very important. We had a case where Marvin Davis, very famous entrepreneur out west, died. And it wasn't atypical for the matriarch or the patriarch to set up trusts as a means of shielding income. But then to take that trust, which has its own instructions, it might be for the benefit of the education, health, and welfare of the beneficiary, which is usually a child, and invest it in high stakes, high risk investments because they still view, view that money as their own. And usually the person who's the trust and estates lawyer in the old days used to be 
the one setting up all the trust and was, you know, <clears throat> there were conflicts of interest that were apparent. So when you take apart generational trusts and you see these conflicts, the litigation can be very expensive and, you know, you have to get the right advice. And I assume you give that type of advice to beneficiaries if their trust has been misinvested. Oh, sure. I'll be honest, that's not a huge part of the work that we do, but I'll say that my experience working as a financial advisor has been instrumental in the few instances where we're seeing really inappropriate investments made for certain people. And it's a complicated situation because you want to put your trust in a person to manage money for your children or your family. It's really, you know, it's hard. It's hard to know who to trust. So I think in addition to paying attention to the investment decisions themselves, it's also important to have a structure of checks and balances, which allow multiple parties to have the ability to either audit or receive statements so that there's ongoing supervision to make sure these things don't happen. It's a lot easier to solve a problem while it's happening than it is to litigate afterwards and then try to sort it out at that point. And I take it that you have to have a pretty good bedside manner when you're talking to people because, for example, I had a situation where someone had cancer, they were dying, and they picked the person who they thought would be the smartest and the most able to administer the estate. But it really hurt the other people who weren't picked. When they died, there was a lot of friction. And again, it gets back to your point of you should sit down with a group of people that you're planning to impose obligations on, give assets to, and explain it to them. So that all of a sudden you're gone and they're trying to interpret your wishes and what it means for even their feelings, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about a couple different very important things. First of all, I mean, a document, like a will or a trust, it's a piece of paper and even the most beautifully and well drafted will or trust can only say so much. And you have to fill in the gaps with what a person wants, the way they think about money, the way they think about life when it comes to provisions about raising children, managing assets. And a trustee has to have a certain amount of discretion because there can be unforeseen consequences of dictating too much responsibility. But then you need to in the context of that discretion, let that trustee know what the person is really thinking about so that they can use that discretion appropriately. Then in terms just generally about talking about death, managing people's feelings, you know, I sort of got this idea from an old manager when I was working in finance, but I, I think a lot of people have negativity put into them unintentionally. You know, the way you ask a question or raise a subject around an issue can have a huge impact on the person you're talking to's reception or engagement on that subject. So if I, if I start a conversation talking about wills with a morose attitude and talking very sadly about the possibility of death, well, that's going to set a really negative tone. But if instead I view death as just something that's inevitable, which it is, and it's just something you prepare for. It's like, I don't think the idea of putting on a seatbelt when I get on a car is morose, but it's just there as a thing I do to protect me from danger. And that's exactly 
the way wills and trusts operate. It's just an instrument meant to protect you. Yeah, that's a fantastic analogy. Um, how do you meet your clients? Where do they come from? Well, I'd say almost all our clients come from referrals of one kind or another. A few people find us you know, through Yelp, but for the most part, it's referrals from existing clients who think enough of our work that they want to recommend to their friends and family that they also use us when they need us. Or we've established a pretty good network of trusted professionals like yourself who understand what we do and trust us, again, to help their clients. The best sources of referrals tend to be people in the financial world, accountants, financial advisors, insurance professionals, mortgage professionals, really because they are in the know in the client's financial life. So when a person is looking to buy property, looking to start a business, or is otherwise just going through the process of life planning, there are a lot of different things that we do that can be helpful. So these professionals want to get us involved to make sure that their clients are doing all right. And how do you charge for your services? You charge hourly or something's handled by a flat fee? Is there a free consultation up front? Explain how the billing and the payment for your services operates. And of course, this is a show that stresses client appreciation, cherishing your clients, not overcharging them. And so I know that David shares those values, but maybe you can tell the audience how you guys go about charging the clients. Absolutely. So first of all, we always offer free consultations to everybody. The way I operate is that I can't possibly make a decision about what a person does or even quote them a price without knowing what the situation is, whether I even want to handle it in the first place. But once I've heard about a situation, there are some things we do on a flat fee and some things we do hourly. When it comes to planning and a lot of the business work we do, For the most part, we'll scope out a project and then quote a flat fee. And that flat fee is based in some regard to our hourly rate based upon how much we how much time we estimate it's going to take. Sometimes it takes less time, sometimes it takes more. Uh, If it takes more, you know, of course, I I think it, it ends up as a wash and I'm happy to eat time if it helps my clients, quite frankly. And then there are certain other things we do hourly. You know, when certain landlord tenant issues, uh, there are certain other kinds of business related work that we might do hourly, probate and estate administration, we do on an hourly basis. And in all ways, we're trying to keep costs down for our clients. I want a bigger pie, not a bigger piece of the pie, if you know what I mean. I'm of the opinion that. The better service you provide, the more you're fair and reasonable with your clients, the more they're going to want to refer you to their friends and family. And so you end up with more clients and they're all happy and everybody wins. Well, that's a fantastic strategy. It's one we share. It's about adding value to the client, focusing on that, making that paramount. Now, you guys do a lot of things. So let's slow down and break it down. List each service your firm provides. Okay. So... In the trust and estates realm, we do estate planning in which we do both the planning as well as draft whatever relevant documents are necessary to execute that planning. We do probate and estate administration. So somebody's passed away, 
They need authority from the court to be able to manage the estate, collect assets, distribute them to beneficiaries. And oftentimes people need the help of an attorney in doing that. And we're happy to do that. So you guys prepare wills and you prepare trust documents that uh, go over that. And if a person's talking about vehicles through other forms of investment, tax savings, like insurance uh, programs, do you give advice on that or do you let them deal with uh, an insurance broker? Honestly, I'm pretty opinionated about insurance. That's a very good example. I don't sell insurance. And I don't benefit personally from making any kind of recommendation. I just think that my time in the industry can be valuable to my clients. And I have then a variety of insurance professionals who I trust, who I think I have a pretty good understanding of the differences between what their respective expertises are, and then can refer clients to the appropriate professional depending on what their need is. Got it. Now, if I'm a trustee and I've been uh, designated by a person who's died as the trustee to administer their trust, or I'm the uh, person designated in a will to carry out the intent of the deceased, they come to you. They would hire you, right, and say, hey, look, I, I don't even know how to do this. I don't know how to open up a proceeding in court to you know, administer the probate of this uh, uh, estate. I don't know what to do with these trusts. I don't know what costs I can bill myself. All those questions that would flood into the person who's named in one of these documents to be in charge, they can come to you and your partner and you you guys will advise them, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's important to know. That's important to know because a lot of people find themselves in that position. Yes, and the amount of, of work is really relative to the amount of work that the client wants us to put in. Some clients basically want me to run the entire administration. And some people really just want help with the initial documents and then they want to do the rest themselves. And I'm happy to do whatever a client wants me to do. Okay. So you handle all of that. And what else do you guys do? So we then advise around businesses. This is, again, really more my client's expertise than mine, but our business work, I think, is the strength of our practice. So advising people looking to start companies around what entities to choose, doing the formation for them, drafting the relevant foundational documents for those companies, helping if they want to issue shares, helping with employment contracts and advising around how to run a company from that respect. And and is this something your partner handles? Yes, exactly. Sean Matthew. Okay. For the listening audience, this is really, really important. I can't stress this enough. Somebody comes up with an idea for a business. They ask their sister or their brother-in-law for a form. They file something with the Secretary of State somewhere. And uh, they, they throw a bunch of names down as a board of directors. And uh, they have an operating agreement that they borrowed from somebody who's got a completely different company. I can't tell you how wrong that is. Because inevitably, if the business is not successful, then there's the issue of payment of creditors and who's responsible. And, you know, can the board of directors be held liable? Can you pierce the corporate veil because you didn't uh, capitalize the company correctly and sue the individuals who formed it? And if the company is successful and one or two people have kind of walked off and they're doing other things and have forgotten about it, they may put their hand in your pocket when it comes time. Uh, for you to sell the company to someone else or take it public. 
and, and, and you've read about these cases in the papers. So a lot of people are sloppy and try to save money on corporate formation. You got to go to a guy like Sean, who's going to have a checklist of questions for you and set the company up correctly in a way that won't come back to bite you years down the road. Is that correct? Yeah. I can't tell you how much work that we do is papering corrections to people's mistakes, like what you just described. People come together, they want to start a business or they want to invest in a piece of real estate. And so they form an LLC, but they don't create an operating agreement, which governs the ownership, how people are capitalizing it, everything you just talked about. And then, you know, seven, eight years later, there's an opportunity to sell. One of the partners has passed away. So now the spouse has inherited their interest. And there's a you know, disagreement about who remembers what about those initial terms. And now you're going to pay a lot more to an attorney to have to go through first the negotiations to agree upon whatever was initially agreed upon some years ago. And then to, again, paper that to make sure everything is, is now properly documented. It's crazy. How has the pandemic impacted your practice? A few interesting ways, I think. So I'm here in New York City. Once the initial waves, March, April, kind of died down, there was, and even actually during that time, there was a lot of work done for our clients who rent in the city and own investment properties or vacation homes who had fled the city to live primarily at those vacation homes. And then they weren't interested in paying rent for a vacant apartment. So a lot of negotiations and advising around how to prematurely terminate a lease and navigate that whole situation. We were dealing with a variety of frontline workers, doctors, nurses who needed to get wills because they were concerned and and justifiably so about getting COVID. Some clients who were doing it while they actually were homesick from COVID very strange doing wills and this kind of advising over Zoom, remote notarization and witnessing and coordinating between multiple people. It's been really interesting, but you know, we worked through it. And at this point, I think everything's pretty much back to where we were pre-COVID, which is, which is fantastic. Doing things with Zoom meetings and DocuSign and witnesses, uh, all of that, which you have to be techno- technologically savvy about and resourceful, but you guys do that, right? Yeah, we were lucky. We were already a pretty virtual firm. It was pretty rare that we would do things in person. I'm just of the opinion that, uh, you know, after or after a long day's work, the last thing a person wants to do is go to some other office, spend 45 minutes talking about their death, and then get home. People just want to go to work and go home. So if you can set up phone calls, do you know, Zoom meetings in the middle of the day. It's a really efficient way to run a practice. It's easy for people to hop on a call for a half hour in the middle of the day from work rather than travel somewhere. So in very few ways were we meaningfully affected from a practical perspective in terms of the way we run our practice. Now, David, how do people get in touch with you? Well, they can email me at david at matthewandstern.com. They can give me a call at 917-960-7534. I encourage people to check out our website, matthewandstern.com. I have a regular blog where I'll 
write and post articles about things I think are important, uh, educational pieces I think are helpful to our clients and other professionals. That's probably it. And I take it you can counsel clients all over the United States. So we're only licensed to practice law in New York. I am working on waving into the Ohio bar, and we're going to get into the New Jersey bar too soon. Uh, but right now, we're only licensed in New York. So if someone comes to you and they're in Pennsylvania, I take it that you know lawyers in Pennsylvania that you can work with. Yeah. If a client comes in and their brother is in uh, Pennsylvania, you know, they have an issue and they want your, you to work behind the scenes with the brother, you can find a lawyer in Pennsylvania and join the team, correct? Yeah, we do that all the time. We have a really great network. We know people. We know people who know people. And, you know, I always want to make it convenient for people to help them find the kind of representation they need. And have you voted? I have. Yeah, I voted last week. Yeah, I voted yesterday. So we're doing our job as citizens of the country. You know, I often tell uh, prospective jurors that it's a it's a constitutional duty of theirs. It's very important. And um, <clears throat> that very important for them to show up for jury duty because, you know, soldiers go to battle, they go to war, they get drafted, they give their lives for our freedom. Uh, but, you know, you're just asked to sit and listen to a jury trial or vote. By the time this podcast out, the vote will be over. But certainly we're letting people know in a general sense that voting is important. Now, one last question. You'll love what you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's strange because it, it actually took me a long time to find, even within the law, the way I loved practicing the law. But I wake up very happy every day to do what I do. I really do love it. Well, David, that is so important. You know, and I'm talking to the general audience listening to this. That's the first question I'd ask anybody, not, you know, how many trusts have you drafted? How many wills have you drafted? Can you give me three references? Before I even got into any of that, and you should look at the, the, the lawyer's website. You should ask around if you can. You should ask for references. It's a good thing. Talk to the references, people who are satisfied with the lawyer's services. But if I sat down in the chair across from the lawyer at their desk, I said, you love what you do. And the reason that question is important is if a person loves what they do, they're going to be great at it. And you want someone great, focused, and paying attention. David is humble. He's been very humble today. He is a multi-talented lawyer who brings a lifetime of experiences to the table. And he's the guy you want to call if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut area. He will either help you directly if you're in New York or New Jersey. But if you're somewhere else, he will... Get, get together with the right lawyers and, and take care of your issues. And he's very sensitive to your, your feelings, as you can tell. He is the guy. Thank you. That's very generous. All right. So we're going to um, stop this interview, but it's been a great one. Another guest worth calling. He's giving you his contact information. Please contact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.